top of the morning to you. I'm. Wait, is the, wait. When is this episode going out? After St. Patrick's Day. Oh. But I'm still going to say top of the morning to you. Okay. I do what I want with your permission. All right. I'm like a wild stallion <laughs> that you came in. You're like off, off the field with you and I will tame you. But you'll always have the spirit of the nature in your blood. And I'll be like, yes, I am your stallion. But sometimes I'm going to buck people off of me. And then you'll be blamed. I haven't had enough coffee for this. I also like to imagine myself as like a wild half dog that you brought in off the streets. And you were like, ooh, you could be useful to me. And I like your cute head. I don't think this has anything to do with our topic today. <laughs> it's it's for people to get to know me a little better. And you. Oh, good. I'm glad you're representing yourself so well. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about a very exciting little topic. Oh, you want me to say it? Yeah, that's why my mouth is wide open and I'm staring at you with like the husky <laughs> meme expression waiting. Well, it's a good thing I looked over because I was looking at Fabu when you started doing it. <laughs> All right, we're talking about Littles. Littles! Hello, and welcome to the K's for Kinky podcast. This podcast discusses adult topics, so if you are offended by adult topics or are under the age of 18, please stop listening now. Also, while Miss Jen is a therapist, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not to be taken as personal therapy for you. She is not your therapist. And if she is your therapist, just remember that what she says only technically counts in your private sessions. Good morning. My Hi, name Eden. My name is Eden. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Miss Jen. I'm only halfway through my coffee, so You have to stop using that as an excuse. It's an excuse though. People we choose- heard the episode that I had not had coffee, yeah, it was awful. We've elected to do this knowing what happened. So, like, this is on us. So, we have no excuses. Yeah, so, what happens is when we have the kiddos, uh, we have to record while they're at school. So, we have to start, like, as early as possible. Um, I like it. I like that you're sort of a little slow on the uptake. Great. Thanks. In the morning. So, today we're going to be talking about littles. And I'm really excited about the topic. Um, one... I really wanted the topic to actually be about leprechauns today, but Miss Jen wouldn't let me do it. And so the second best thing to leprechauns for me today was talking about littles. Um, I mean, what are you going to talk about with leprechauns? Well, they like golds and rainbows. Do you even know the origin of leprechauns? Do you have any idea about anything about leprechauns? Probably you don't know. not. Exactly. And no one else does either. It's a good topic. In the rolling hills and murky waters. Wait, are you just going to make shit up? Of Ireland. Or are you going to actually, like, They're, are you going to offend Irish people right now? I could offend lots of people right now. Oh I don't, <laughs> why does it have to just Lord. be Irish oh people? Um, but no, like, leprechauns are really interesting. Um, they actually normally were depicted as having red clothing, not green, which most people don't know that. Um, they were typically portrayed as little old men. Like, that is a thing. Um, but they're heavily related to, like, hobgoblins and brownies, like house spirits and things like that. Um, leprechauns, of course, do have more of a mischievous vibe, but they are part of the fae folk. Oh, would that be, like, fiddlesticks? Fiddlesticks, yeah. Fiddlesticks actually, is a leprechaun? Fiddlesticks is probably closest. <laughs> so Fiddlesticks, our garden gnome, has a very particular look to him. He's not bearded. He does wear a really nice garb. And to me, he reminds me a lot of what the fae probably were originally thought to look like back in back in the Irish days of 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 yore but fae folk covers like a majillion different things and yeah leprechauns fall under that category most fae folk don't like humans and will fuck with you but some are kind um the leprechauns are typically not portrayed as very kind 
Um, but they can give you stuff if you capture them, hold them against their will, and coerce <laughs> them into giving you their gold. It's actually not a good thing. And if you try to fuck with one of them, they'll fuck with you. And most likely they'll be better at it than you. Um, I love talking about fey folk. It's fascinating. I didn't do any research like to brush up on my knowledge before I sat down to this morning because I didn't think you'd call me on my bluff. But what you didn't know is I wasn't bluffing. I will talk forever about leprechauns. All right. Go ahead. I'm going to enjoy my coffee. No, you need to do the <laughs> podcast, though. Today, we're going to be talking about littles. I wanted to go ahead and put a disclaimer at the start of this topic, even though I don't feel it should have to be here, because there are people in the world who don't know about age players, who don't know about the littles community, um, and who mistakenly confuse it with pedophilia. Um, we are not discussing pedophilia on this podcast today. We do not condone pedophilia. Um, pedophilia is absolutely horrific, um, and it has no place in BDSM or age play at all. Um, when we talk about age play, we are going to be discussing adults who have child headspaces or inner childs that they are able to access and um, experience and, and, and explore the world through the lens of, basically. But these are all people who are of the age of consent, who are over 18. Um, and anybody who is suggesting for a second that this is pedophilia doesn't understand the BDSM community at its foundation, because in order for something to be consensual, you have to be of legal age to consent. Um, this is not something that we should be judgmental over from the outside. And if you are confused looking at something or you have questions and a little is willing to share their experience with you when they're in an appropriate place to do so, you can ask them and they'll they'll tell you more. But this was our little disclaimer uh, at the beginning of our little conversation about littles. It's just in case there are people listening who don't understand what age play is and might have been um, concerned or confused about the disclaimer. Uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and jump right into the episode. <laughs> Littles are the little ones that live inside of us. So leprechauns are small in stature and littles are small in mindset. Headspace. What? Yeah, headspace. Yeah. Where do we start? So a lot of people use the term little as sort of an umbrella term um, to cover people who identify as littles, as middles. I think there's an older category. There's caregivers, which is you start to flip over um, to kind of the top side of the category of caregivers, babysitters, mommies, daddies, etc. There's the ABDL, right, which are younger. And then middles are usually what, like toddler to middle child like like elementary I mean, school i think a safe range for a little would probably be between the ages of like two or three to seven or eight i mean yeah. technically i think you could go up to nine or nine nine ten eleven if you wanted to and call yourself a little but once you start getting into the double digits i feel like that's when you start to transition into a middle yeah a lot of There's people no identify... hard and fast rules either. I no, mean... <laughs> it's, it's all like a spectrum, but a lot of people who identify as middles, I've noticed they tend to identify as preteens or like middle schoolers. Like that's really where you'll see a middle mindset. Um, and then there are, of course, there are teenage mindsets. There's teenagers or bigs, I guess is what they're also called. Um, and they'll often find themselves as well with middles. Middles will find themselves in situations where they're with other littles who are younger and they'll end up having to be caretakers even though they may not want to, it's kind of a natural dynamic to develop when you're around a bunch of littler ones, you know? Really interesting. There's all these different possible categories for the umbrella of little or age play. Um, 
Yeah, it's interesting, too, because different people will will kind of define it differently for themselves in terms of for some it is more like role play, which some people would argue would no longer be under the category of little, um, but some people would. For, for others, it's a regressive state, um, which I think from, from my experience, I've encountered more who identify as a little being more of the regressive side. And if it's more role play, that's usually when I've seen people identify as like a baby girl or a baby boy kind of a thing when it's more of the role play variety. But again... None of this is hard and fast rules like everybody's going to have their own thing um, and their own definition and you have to, you know, kind of work with how they define it for themselves. So what's interesting for me is that if you've known me at all, you see me in public spaces or you see me interact specifically with my dominant, you'll notice that I have littleish traits. And I had people asking me if I was a little or assuming that I was one pretty much from the beginning of my time in the scene, but I only started to really identify as part of the Littles community in like 2020 or something like that, maybe 2021. Um, Yeah, probably 2021. Yeah, and it was interesting because I was helping to facilitate and um, try to organize Littles events for a venue I was working for. And through exposure just to that alone, I started to kind of like piece together uh, between that and like conversations about Littles in the S word, the group that I run. I just started to understand and realize, I think I am one of these things, one of these things. I am a little, this is a, this is an identifier that seems to fit for me, but I don't know how it fits for me. And I think I want to just sort of talk briefly about our pressure that we put on ourselves when it comes to headspaces. Um, it can feel like we don't have a right to call ourselves something or we don't have a connection to something because we don't seem to experience the most extreme versions of it. So like, for instance subspace is something that a lot of people talk about and a lot of people want to get to when they're in scenes. Um, But there are varying degrees of subspace and varying ways of experiencing it. And I think that because we don't talk about that on a spectrum and we don't allow for like subspace to sort of be like, I feel really happy and light or I feel a little bit buzzed or I feel really, really out of it or there's all these different ways of feeling it. But sometimes people I think get into their heads that subspace must mean extreme ecstasy and inability to function and if you don't hit extreme ecstasy and inability to function you're not in subspace so a lot of people who might very well have experienced subspace don't talk about it or don't think they have I think the same is true of like you know being a pet player or being interested in pet play like everybody has the capacity to do pet play if they want to or animal play everybody could sit down and do an exercise and process um, how they might identify or connect to an animal And I think, in fact, it's really healthy and interesting to do that type of exercise for yourself. Um, But I think some people won't allow themselves to go there or won't conceptualize it because they don't have the most extreme interest in it that some do. They may not want to dress up all the time as that and they may not want to develop basically a fursona. But maybe they do still have a connection to an animal. Maybe there is something here for them, but they're just scared to go forward or don't feel deserving because they might not end up engaging in pet play or animal play. Well, yeah, like you, you're interested like, in both I'm cats not, and dragons. Well, I'm like, I'm not, yeah. Well, like if I was like, hey. <laughs> like gonna... I identify as a grumpy old house cat, but I, I don't have any like ears or anything. I'm not going to yeah. crawl around because well, my knees would die. In the same way <laughs> as like, you know, people don't, sometimes, sometimes people deny themselves opportunities 
to explore parts of who they are because they don't want to commit to what they imagine as the total or most extreme version of expressing it. Um, and this, I feel, is a detriment to our growth. It's a detriment in pet play. It's a detriment with subspace. And I think it's also a huge detriment for littles because there's a lot of self-judgment that I placed on me when I was engaging with the concept of am I a little? Because I was putting into my head that in order to be a little, I had to dress a certain way, act a certain way, engage in certain activities, and do that in group settings or else it didn't count. I had to talk a certain way. I had to have certain types of regressive tendencies for it to count. I had all of these things in my brain that I just decided were the rules, which is weird, but I did that. And I didn't feel like I was deserving of owning that I have a little. And um, to this day, I still have a little bit of alienation, LOL, a little bit of alienation from the little community. Is that going to happen the entire episode? Maybe a little. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I still have some alienation, not because I feel like the community is alienating me. Far from it. I feel very welcomed by the age play and littles community. Um, I feel alienated from myself because it's still hard for me to process what it means to have a little. I think it's really important um, to understand that most people probably have an aspect of themselves that survived from childhood. Whether that aspect of yourself is fully developed or not, even if you have some concrete memories from early childhood and can actually put yourself back into a memory from like when you were three or four, you might be able to recapture a little bit of that feeling. And I think for people who identify as littles, many are able to not only access memories and access feelings and access headspace, but there's some part of their childhood self or selves that is still active to the point where they can actually sit back into that headspace and really allow that part of themselves to be alive again. You know, so for me, like my my little, I started to understand, I think I have a little because even though I'm able to, you know, bully myself into being an adult and get myself to perform and get myself to mask and do lots of things, and even though I don't think of myself generally speaking as a child, I I have a part of me that's always been very childlike, that's always refused to die you know and at first I was like oh it's just because I'm young at heart or whatever but as an adult looking at myself and comfortable with the fact that I feel healthily fragmented I feel like I have all healthy working pieces that collaborate well together but I do experience and perceive fragmentation of myself and part of that fragment is is this child aspect and I love her to pieces I love her to pieces and I regret taking this long to understand there's a part of me that's so young that she would still like to come out and do things. She would still like to and still does demand to watch cartoons, color, play with these things, look at the world a certain way. I credit her with me being delighted by... Freak out in the middle of Costco. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's something else. That's the regression piece. But like, I credit my little self with a lot of my joy, a lot of my playfulness, and a lot of my ability to be in social circumstances. I credit her with a lot. And um, that's a huge part, I feel, for me of accepting the little aspect is seeing the values and the strengths in your little. Um, But this is just all... I'm getting really kind of deep into the topic now. Basically, what I wanted to say is that I don't dress a certain way as my little, not necessarily. I mean, I am very certain that my wardrobe and who I am as a human 
is heavily dictated by her, I feel. I feel that there's a perfect mixture and a perfect balance of childlike and adult-like qualities to me. I just want to point out the fact that right now you're wearing a Care Bear t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's what I'm saying. Like It's like both the adult version of me and the little aspect of agreed that this is the right shirt. Like I'm working in tandem with myself. But the point is I feel like my littleness – lives and breathes in everything I do I don't necessarily choose times to be little but I do have times when my little feels like she's out more and that is a way of interacting with your little space and I think there are some people who do choose their their little time if you will um you know I know people who choose it when they're particularly stressed out um you know if they've had a really tough day at work they come home and they might choose to be in sort of a little space for a set amount of time just to kind of feel, to put themselves in the mindset of I'm a child with no adulting responsibilities, which is kind of a de-stressor for them. Um, there, there's just so many different examples of this. Like we are not here to say that we can represent or even talk about all the different ways that people will express this or what the experience is for them. Um, but I also know a lot of people who have a more regressive little space, which is connected to a healing process of, you know, needing to kind of have that, that side of themselves reparented in a sense, depending on their childhood and, you know, the amount of nurturing um, or caregiving they got when they were chronologically a child. So, I mean, it's just, it's it's fascinating and there's so many layers to it, so many different reasons why people have a little side. Um, and I think, you know, honestly, it's so funny because you see things coming out like in mainstream um, society, like adult coloring books, right? Like we've seen adult coloring books become much more popular I would say over the last, five. what, five so years? Five to ten, yeah. Um, and, you know, people in mainstream society, I don't think, want to talk about it this way. They just think, oh, it's something, you know, relaxing for me to do after work or whatever. But I think, I think it is healing. Whether somebody just, you know, describes it as, oh, it's a stress reliever, um, that's fine. There's some that are adult coloring books that are adult themed that are hilarious. Uh, but <laughs> I think, you know, there's something healing to that in terms of even if you're not aware of it as a healing thing to sit down and do something that perhaps they did in childhood or that gives them that same sort of feeling of I can set my responsibilities as an adult to the side for a moment. There are so many ways to interact with aspects of yourself that are younger. And I really want to advocate for everybody to kind of sit with and hold memories you have of yourself or parts of you that feel maybe a little younger. Because my personal belief is that all human beings do actually exist in fragments. I don't believe anybody is a single entity. I think even the fact that we talk about like I was thinking to myself or I was doing this. We talk about ourselves in plural all the time. Um, this is, of course, both on topic and off topic, and I don't want to get too deep into this conversation, um, but I don't just think that it's people who have, you know, severe fragmentation and who may be, you know, psychiatrically. Like 
like, well, yeah, like dissociative identity disorder. Um, there's other versions of that disorder as well. But I don't think that just people who end up being diagnosed with more severe and like less functional versions of this, um, that they're the only ones who experience fragmentation. I think that all humans do. But I think that we're taught to think of ourselves as singular. And so as a result, sometimes we deny parts of ourselves that really want to be active or that really want love or that really need attention. You know, you, I, I think we see that a lot in like people, frankly, I think we see it in midlife crises. I think we see parts of ourselves lurching out going, I don't want to do this thing. Or, I don't want to be this way. I think um, I don't want to die. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, I mean, the midlife crisis, thing. the midlife crisis thing I bring up only because like it's a vanilla concepts that vanilla culture talks about. And like, if you think about I'm sure it, it if happens you see, in every culture, <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, I said vanilla. I know. Well, it happens. Yeah, it happens in the king culture too. I guess, yeah. Right? But I'm saying it like it also exists in the vanilla world. It's a concept that like, you know, whatever. The point is when you see a 65 year old man start acting like a teenager, it makes you wonder. 55. Let's go. Midlife is a little younger than that. All right. I'm coming you. up on it. I wonder what I'm going to do. I'm worried now that you said that. <laughs> But, like, they start acting like a teenager. And it, it kind of why, – why call it anything else than that? Why not say, hey, their teenage self is realizing that they're in a much older body and they're kind of freaking out a little bit. Like, that's kind of valid. It's a valid way to examine. It's a valid way also, like, some of the trauma that we hold or some of the things we still process or the grief that we still carry. Sometimes it's possible that maybe parts of ourselves crystallize around that grief and those pieces need to be dealt with at the age they were when that grief hardened. You know, these are just things that I think about a lot in myself and when I deal with others. I deal with other people and even with Miss Jen, like I I have my own theories about Miss Jen, but I think that some some pieces of us, when we're wounded, there's like a scab that forms in our spirit. And that scab can harden us and freeze us into the age or the time or the mindset that we were in when that first wound was dealt. And I think we can grow and heal and sometimes it's the best to grow and heal past those things. But in order to do that, you have to interact with those pieces. But I also don't want to suggest that there's something broken or damaged about being in fragment or about having, for instance, a little self, because I don't think that's the case either. Um, I think that some of us are lucky enough to be able to have access to different fragmented pieces. And as long as you're able to function and you're happy and you're healthy and you can, you know, see yourself in a positive light and bring light into the world, then you're fine. As long as you're okay and you're stable, right? Um, well, I, find- I just want to jump in real quick here and say, you know, you and I have a little bit differing little outlooks bit. on, stop it, on this. Um, and maybe it's because of my psych background, but talking about fragmentation and stuff is usually its own thing. I, we, so we differ on our opinions here It's and that's fine and that's okay. Um, I don't necessarily see different having different pieces or different sides of yourself as different fragments i see it as having different sides of yourself and different you know different aspects of your personality and things like that and i know that you've spoken to that before when we've talked you know on our own about how most people will usually see it that way um which is how i see it and maybe speaking in your terms it would be i i prefer to see people as, as fully integrated integrated yeah um so that would be your language um to me it's just the process of growth the process of life the process of getting older you know and kind of um piling on 
<laughs> if you will, experience. And so there's layers, but I don't necessarily see it as fragments. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Like they're just differing opinions and that's okay. Um, I just kind of wanted to. Well, and while Miss Jen has a psychiatric background, I do not. Um, I actually approach this entire conversation from a spiritual standpoint for myself. To me, this is a spiritual matter about how the human spirit is potentially layered. But regardless, let's go ahead and apply this to littles, okay? Um, One of the most fascinating things to me is that the kink community just accepts at large that there are many people who identify as having a little space. I find that to be fascinating. I find it just as fascinating that the kink community is openly aware of and accepting of people who have animal head spaces. Because to me, the very creation of or identification of these separate head spaces is an actual community of people discussing what I feel is fragmentation. Um, or, or, or as Ms. Jen wants to call it, like uh, aspect of personality that is so developed, you could actually go into a separate headspace. I think it's beautiful. I think it's healthy. Or, or using different headspaces for either healing or for fun. The only other community or space that I've ever been in that talks about this type of headspace switching so much is the theater and acting community, which literally deliberately helps people access headspace and create basically containers to pour yourself into. Um, I think all of this for for me I just had a really gross visualization when you said that. That's great. <laughs> to me all of this is again a form of spiritual work. I think acting is a form of spiritual work and there are many actors at least the ones that I was brought up alongside in the department that I was in that seem to also believe something similar. It's almost like shamanistic. I think the kink scene offers the same type of spiritual space. Um and I know that's odd that I'm bringing that into a conversation with littles. But it is fascinating and you have to admit how unique and beautiful it is that so many people are able to literally openly talk about a part of themselves that they get to actually sink into and be that is different from their typical self. That being said, you do not have to experience extreme dissociation between your little self and your, your I don't know, main self. You don't have to have a headspace shift that's so extreme that you can't get from one to the other without help. Like you could just fluidly move between both. It's okay if you're sort of role playing, but it makes you feel a little bit warm and safe. Like you can interact with any of these concepts however you'd like to, and it's valid if you want to explore being little. Um, But one thing that I found that's very interesting about the little space is how littles talk about themselves. I have a friend who talks about her little as if her little is a little sister or an actual like child of hers that she is responsible for. And I think that is one of the healthiest and most wonderful ways to talk about being a little. Because to me, I think of my little self as well in that in those terms. I think of my little self as somebody who's about the age of six that I have a responsibility towards. It's my job to protect my little and her space. It's my job to be able to make sure that she is safe and that I don't put her into situations where she will not be okay. I don't put that responsibility on my dominant, although I trust my dominant enough with the situation to know that she will help me and help my little if my little is present. And I feel like Miss Jen is getting more and more adept at noticing when she's around in a way that is not good for her. So like an example was we were at a dinner and I just got very nonverbal and quiet and I was interacting with Miss Jen mostly via sign language. And for me, that was a shyness 
And I don't know if anyone else identified at that time, but without me verbally saying, hey, I feel a little bit little, which is what I ended up saying to friends because they were watching my demeanor change. But my little is not normally shy. It was an overwhelming situation for her to be in. And I was in that headspace and I didn't really want to be. But my little was the only aspect of myself that was willing to show up and be present socially. And that's pretty alarming. And that's kind of a – some people would call that a regression. For me, because of the way I see myself in a kind of fluid and functioning fragmented state, I saw myself basically allowing the one of the youngest pieces of myself to front because I was too overwhelmed to be there. I was actually mad at myself later on, but my little is a very brave person and she trusts my dominant. So like I see my little as separate from myself because it's easier for me to talk about these things in that way. Um, but I also see my little as part of me. I see myself as a singular entity as well. I talk about myself both as singular and I talk about myself both as in these fragments because it's easier for me to examine the concepts that way. Miss Jen, what do you think about that? I, <laughs> my thought, my only thought that popped up was you said my little is brave and I just thought except in grocery stores. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, something that's really uncomfortable and I think it's kind of important if you're little to know what stresses you out when you're little um, or if you want to talk about it from a fragmented standpoint what stresses your little out and what makes them feel safe or what makes you feel safe when you're in that headspace um, I I mean I can speak to the first time this happened from my perspective yeah. um, you know we were going to Costco like we do a lot um, shout out to Costco ooh what if Costco sponsored us that they're not going to sponsor <laughs> Kinky Costco. Ooh. Like, they're not they're not gonna like that. We're gonna get a letter, we're gonna get sued. Um, but we were at Costco and you know, for me, I'm like, all right, she, she's off looking at books. Probably it was books. There's a book section and she was off looking at books and I'm like, I just I wanna get shopping done, so I'm gonna keep going from the list and find the next thing and Important to to note, by the way, my little, just like my adult version, my little loves books. So me going to look at books may have also brought my little to the surface in an environment that normally she would not be in. And keep in mind, this was the first time this happened. So I was not yet very aware of all the things going on. But I just thought I'm going to be efficient because I like efficiency. So I'm going to go shopping for the stuff we need. And... It's not a big deal because we both have a cell phone. Like, if we need to know where each other is, we can just call. Um, So I went shopping and, like, apparently she went into a panic because she didn't know where I was. um, And she started to freak out and she called, which was my whole point, was that she could call or I could call her. But she called, like, almost in tears of, like, I didn't know where you went I turned around and you were gone, like as as if it was like a, I don't know, eight year old, you know. And to me, I was like, but you have a phone, like it's not a big deal. I don't understand why it matters. But that was sort of the first experience of, and you know, I think I'm sure we talked about it later, or maybe in the store. I don't remember, but. You know, she explained, like, I went into kind of this panicked little headspace. I don't know how you explained it at the time, actually. I didn't know that it was a regression. I 
I knew I had times when I would react to the world around me in a way that wasn't congruent with my age. And I would be able to sometimes over overwhelm that headspace and be able to kind of, as my own adult, try to adult myself out of the fear. But there are certain situations that really, even to this day, like even talking about this makes me feel like I'm going to cry. Um, Why do you think it's grocery stores? Because that seems to be the place where it comes out a lot. I feel you, very little in grocery stores, whether I want to or not. But do you know um, why? Like, well, have you thought about before that? Before I go into this i do want to do a little disclaimer i really don't like furthering um the stereotype that kinksters or littles or people who have particular fetishes are only into those fetishes are only interested in kink because of trauma um i think it is there, there are many times when trauma is a root source and there are many times when it is not. Um, I'm going to speak a little bit about some childhood trauma. I don't. This even is just know, your experience. It's my experience. I don't really know that this is a trigger warning situation because it's not any sort of typical trauma. It's more so just a normal thing that would stress a child out. But I did want to kind of let you know I'm going to talk a little bit about some stuff from my childhood that was not happy um, and that probably started to cause for me what I would describe as more severe fragmentation than other people might have Um, because again in my personal belief both spiritually and just my opinion about the world around me and people as psychological entities I think that most people have the capacity to experience some form of fragmentation and that most people don't survive to adulthood without having something like fragmentation occur whether they're aware of it or not but I think that some people get more shattered than others and I think some people uh, aren't able to be functional or are not able to develop a sense of singularity. Um, I'm very grateful that I'm a functional person, but I'm also very aware of fragments and fragmentation. So not to interrupt, but to interrupt, uh, we want to call out a special thank you and shout out to some of our newer patrons on Patreon. Uh, one shout out always happens, and that's to Pudding, because Pudding is a badass. Totally a badass and is part of the, what's it called? The top tier? Call me Kinkling. Yeah, which means she gets a shout out every episode. So if you are a connected Kinkling on the Patreon or above, it's only five bucks. I'm just saying. Then you get a shout out. And so we want a shout out today to Millie. Tamara. Steve. And Roan. Thank you to all of you who have contributed to the Patreon. We really, really appreciate any tier that you can join. Also, if you can't join the Patreon, you just don't want to for some weird reason, or you do want to join and you just have this extra drive to know more, get our newsletter. there's cute pictures of the boys. Yeah, the cats are in it and shit. (laughs) Like, you really cannot afford to miss out on this great newsletter. So please sign up for the (laughs) newsletter as well, okay? Yes, please. And that's the end of the advertisement. So for my child self, answering your question, some of my most terrifying memories of childhood was being was being left in a grocery store or lost in a grocery store. My mom never left me behind in a grocery store. She didn't like abandon me in a grocery store. But the feeling of separation, the fear of being alone, of being taken – which was drilled into me. If you're alone and you're not with me or you're on the street or any adult approaches you, you can be taken. Um, I think my mom was trying very hard to protect me. And so she instilled some terror into me when I was growing up so that I wouldn't be taken. She was very afraid of me being abducted. So as a result, I had a very fearful childhood in that way and grocery stores and being outside 
of the car alone was terrifying to me. And I've, I got lost or separated from my mom enough times that the memory and the physical fear is still alive in my body. Um, grocery stores are overwhelming places for me to be. I also love going shopping as an adult and I understand logically as an adult, I was in no danger when you left me. But in that moment when you left me behind and I was feeling safe and happy and I was looking at books and I was wanting to come show you the book I had picked out and like I was, I guess I was in a little headspace. I was excited to show you stuff. I had asked permission to go see the books. Like our dynamic, because it's very caretaker childlike in many ways and because I asked permission to do things that adults normally don't ask permission to do, like I'm kind of set up into a position where my little side is constantly bubbling to the surface and constantly wanting to be near you. My little loves Miss Jen. Um, but in that moment when I felt so safe and happy and I turned around and you were gone and I was in this giant space surrounded by so many adults and I didn't know where you were, I just got terrified. It, it was It was very scary. Um, it was just like being little and being lost and not knowing where your mom is and that fear of what if she's gone and I'll never find her, you know, what if somebody finds me? And then there's also this horrible running dialogue of you are actually an adult. No one would understand you if you started crying right now. Nobody will know what to do if you show that you're not okay right now because you're supposed to be. You know, there's a lot of judgment that I carry on myself because I'm very aware that there are parts of me that don't seem to react the way that they should. But yeah, that was scary. And I was very upset with you at the time when it happened too because yeah. you Which left me. I didn't me. understand. I was like. You left me and I, I couldn't believe why, I couldn't believe you would do something like that. And what's funny is like as an adult looking at it, stepping back, there is no violation of trust. There's no abandonment that really occurred. We were in a grocery store and you left. You didn't tell me you were going, which isn't my preference just in general. But it's very much that my little my little was counting on you to be there and you left her. Um, so that's kind of hard to describe. But like obviously that's a trigger for me. Obviously it's a trigger. Like I went right into a traumatic response of being abandoned. Um, I think also like some of my earliest memories were of not being picked up at school and being left behind for like five or six hours after daycare. Like that happened one time. Oh. Um, my, my mom fell asleep and forgot she had a kid. Like, well, or she was asleep. No, I mean, she literally <laughs> said I forgot I had a kid. Oh. Like that was one of my memories. They almost called the police for me to be taken as an abandoned child. Like that was a obvious traumatic memory from when I was in kindergarten. I think I was four or five years old. Like that feeling of I'm going to be left behind and forgotten is a big thing for me. So, um, but it's hard when you have a little space and you go into that mindset, because even if you logically understand and your brain is capable of holding, I am okay. Your emotional self suddenly is not the age that you are. Your emotional self is suddenly fucking six years old. And you have to reason with a six-year-old or try to walk around the world and pretend that you are not six. And that's what it feels like sometimes when that happens. Like I have to pretend to be older than I am right now. And that's also hard and a little bit of its own type of trauma to put on somebody in a little headspace. You need to pretend to be older. But I think a lot of people who are littles always are having to pretend. I think some people regress more than they want to admit. And that is scary. It is scary to feel like you're not in control of your headspace sometimes. It doesn't happen too often to me, though. 
And I've noticed that like I tend to only go into a little space because I'm trusting the people I'm with. I feel safe. And so my little might poke her head out because she's like, oh, you're a safe person. I can be myself and you won't judge me. Oh, I can be myself and you'll think I'm cute or you'll think it's fun or we can play together. Like there's there's a certain, again, like bravery that I feel my little side has where she'll just pop her fucking head out and be like, what's going on? Like I sometimes will catch myself and be like, is that my little self masquerading as a regular person right now? But actually like it's really funny to kind of catch yourself slipping into little mode in spaces where you wouldn't imagine yourself to be little, you know? And so that that's always been fascinating to me as well, like being aware more and more of that piece of myself kind of surfacing and being more present in my daily life. I mean, I'm kind of on the opposite end where I feel like I've been adulting since I was a teenager. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. Um I think what's what's interesting is that, you know, we brought up the issue in Costco and kind of the the scared freak out moment that was more obvious to me as a, as different. Um and you were able to explain afterwards like, yeah, that was me kind of going into my little's headspace and this was my reaction and so that was easier for me to observe. And I mean, there's other aspects that probably looking back were other moments that you were in that headspace like I remember specifically we were at an amusement park (laughs) and it was one of the first times we were at this amusement park and it was during the winter (laughs) and there was fake snow coming down from the sky (laughs) and I remember taking a picture of you because I looked over and you had this very like childlike awe if you will look uh, uh, even though you knew what was happening, you knew it was fake. Um, but looking back, I mean, I've never actually asked you this before, but like looking back, I would guess that you may have been in sort of your little headspace at the time. Um, would you say that I was that that's true? Probably. Do you remember? I mean, I I see my joy as a singular entity as mine, but the parts of me that still lose my mind when I go to a theme park or love the beauty of nature specifically like nature and animals in particular like I'm very little in those spaces and as I've gotten more aware of my little self the more I'm aware of how much she shapes who I am she's around all the time and like I couldn't be in love with you if she didn't love you so how do you know the difference because I know that there's you know a adults who love the nature right so like how do you know you and I'm asking you specifically how do you know if you're out in a forest somewhere and you're enjoying nature from like your little headspace versus your adult headspace they feel who each just other. loves nature so they, they fuel each other it's it's like an infinity sign it's always going in and out of the other but does it feel different like how do you it know it can feel different so I could feel like the flow or the energy of like littlishness or like the the younger self stronger in certain environments. Like I will go out and look for pixie houses to this day when I am in like a forest. Like I will go look and see if there are places where it's possible maybe that a fairy would make a house. Like there is some part of my mind that is always looking for fairy houses. Like where people put their little... No, like, like fairies we did out in the house. front yard. You'll, I mean, I built that in the front yard. But like the fact yeah. that I built a fairy house in the front yard is both me as an adult finding value in creating magic and creating beauty. Because as an adult, I, I appreciate childlike wonder. But I also have actual childlike wonder. 
But as an adult, you know, like, do you believe in fairies as an adult? I know that there's no such thing. I'm not going to find an actual fairy house out there that a person didn't make. I can't seem to convince myself not to look for them anyways. I'm still going to look, and if I can't find one, I will make one and leave it behind so that somebody else looks and finds something beautiful. If I can't find the magic that some part of me, which I think is a little part, is constantly looking for, I will build it myself. I always have a living part of me that is still just as amazed by what looks like snow as, as a kid would be. I know that soap. I know they were blowing soap <laughs> through the air, but it doesn't mean that. I forgot it was soap. <laughs> it doesn't mean that there isn't a part of me that's just awestruck at the beauty and at the idea that what if it were real snow, you know? So that's, yeah, like I would say that I didn't know you remembered that, but like I forgot you had done that. But like, yeah, like that is that is part of my little self. And like, I feel like anybody who knows me well and who loves me knows and might be a little taken aback by how much of a mixture of like an, an old ancient tree person and a child I seem to be. I perceive myself a tree as, person. I think I, I feel very ancient a lot of the time. I feel very ancient. And I also feel simultaneously very, very young. Yeah. I think like in that, the, the soapy snow moment, <laughs> henceforth it shall be referred to as the soapy snow moment um was a little bit more obvious on that side of it but probably i'm guessing that when you're ha- when you're in your little headspace but it's like a positive like excitement or like just kind of happy little headspace yeah that it's probably not as obviously a little headspace my theory is that i'm so integrated all of my fragments are so integrated that people don't notice so like me singing kitty ditties that's my little i sing in front of you every day my little is playing around bugging the shit out of you pulling on your ears smelling your robe asking for cuddles and being near you and adoring you on a daily basis i am showering you with love from a little headspace on a daily basis. It's the adult part of me that sits down and does all of the work that we do. The adult part of me normally is the one that's helping with the podcast. If there was one podcast that we had to stop because my little was out and we couldn't have a conversation. And like I actually heard my voice on audio recording and it freaked me out because I sounded little. Like I sounded younger. But, like, my little does come out and, like, will become petulant or will throw a tantrum occasionally. And I feel like that's sometimes the most attention that she'll get in those moments. But, you know, I I also feel loved by you in the sense of, like, you got me a coloring book this year. And you've got to know on some level. I mean, it was kind of – it was very adult. It's an adult coloring coloring book. (laughs) Well, it appeals to all aspects of who I am. It was funny. It was sarcastic. It had cats. And it was a coloring book. Like, I feel like some of the best gifts that you give me appeal to all aspects of me, but especially the little piece. Me asking for a stuffed animal and getting it on my birthday and having that be one of the gifts that stood out for me on my birthday this year was – it's a symptom of – what what parts of me are calling the shots when it comes to things that I want? I mean, you like stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just think that it's, like you said, you know, it's, I guess, more integrated or however you want to put it in terms of, like, the happy side. It's those moments that either you're freaking out in a grocery store or you're whining or throwing a tantrum 
that it's like, okay, this, like from an outsider's perspective of this is not adult. Whereas being cutesy or excited about something can be associated very much with an adult, you know, being excited or, you know. Um, so I think it's those moments that are more obvious to outsiders. Well, I don't really get little in front of outsiders. And that's well, another piece. I mean, piece. I'm including myself as an outsider. But that's <laughs> like I'm not in your head. You're not an outsider. You're Well, to you I am. I'm not in your head. You're like my... I'm not I'm not in there, right? Like I have to observe you. Is what I mean by that. One of my wishes and one of my things that I wanted from Kink and from DS which without being able to verbalize it was a mother figure who was my partner and my dominant. I wanted to be able to be who I am and that includes my little and to have those pieces be loved and cared for because I've already gone through a relationship style with my actual parent where being who I was and being a kid wasn't okay. So it is very hard to hear to me that you feel like an outsider because you're supposed to be my caretaker. It might become more obvious as we go along in our relationship, but most of the time the obvious moments are the tantrums, the the moments that are less that are further away from adults. I guess, or adult expected behavior. I think what's difficult for me personally is that one, I do have a lot of cooperation with all of the facets of me that exist. I really do feel like I can both present as a singular entity and also allow myself to see myself in fragments in a way that is healthy. But my little has to do so many things as an adult. My little had to be very adult-like when I was a kid. So my little faces as an adult very well. And it's... Why did why did she have to be an adult as a kid? What do you mean? I, I mean, I... Hi, this is Eden. And I wanted to kind of take a moment to retroactively place a trigger warning in the episode. Because um, while we are not actually discussing things that would probably be triggering for you in an adult headspace, I am going to talk a little bit about some unpleasant things that happened to me in childhood Um, specifically um, cases of feeling abandoned or not feeling supported by a parental figure emotionally. Um, It doesn't get much more severe or explicit than that, but it is possible that you will be upset by hearing it. Um, And if you experience something similar, um, anything that might resemble emotional neglect in childhood, this might touch you in a way that is um, painful. So I just wanted to give you a warning and to give you a chance to kind of take a moment um, to step back if this isn't the right um, episode for you to finish. However, if you are still along for the ride, then I will see you in a couple of seconds. When I was six years old, I was in a therapy session with my mom and she started crying because I was trying to climb onto her lap and to get comfort. I remember in that moment feeling one, like the worst thing in the world. I felt like a thing. I didn't feel like a person. And also feeling like in every way I was too much and my mother needed to be cared for and she needed to be comforted. And I was six. And when you're six and you have to comfort your parent and the role is reversed and you grow up learning that you won't get comforted. You have to comfort or you have to be angry and you can be angry and hateful and you can separate. But like you are responsible for comforting yourself 
Like that type of independence that you don't want when you are that young. Like I had to learn quickly how to be my own parent in that capacity. And I feel like my little is very well preserved. I do not feel that all people who are little have this type of little. I have met others who are like me, where the little side is separate enough and active enough that it's almost as if it's it's another person. That's why I call my little my little. Like she is mine to take care of. I really feel sometimes like she's big enough and she is, you know, individual enough from me that I can actually say she's been staying this age, but having to step in when I am too scared, when I'm not ready to do things that I don't want to do. She's incredibly brave. So I feel sometimes like I have this six-year-old Hellion who had to learn how to take care of herself And you also had to learn how to take care of me. She took care of herself when she was that age. And as I grew and developed older pieces of myself that should have been able to do things, like I should be able to socialize comfortably. I should be able to show up to my driving class or my driving lesson to learn how to drive a car. And I should be able to be the person and the headspace that that I, I should be in. But I, I believe my little showed up to my driving class. Terrifying. <laughs> but it's true. I believe that my little shows up to social situations sometimes and fronts as if she's older. Because she isn't as scared as some parts of me are. And that's desperately sad and something that I've been working on. Because it's very hard for me to know that when... I am traumatized as an adult or when I am scared as an adult, there is a part of me that for some reason is so strong and so willing to take it on that she will step out even though she's six years old. And I hate that. I hate, as an adult, I hate letting that part of myself down and letting her call the shots or be in the front when she shouldn't have to be you know so a big part of myself as an adult is trying to protect her from having to adult because she does it a lot you know and I don't know if other littles experience this and I think the only way that you could is if you do experience a form of regression you know but like a lot of people who regress like they go away and some other part comes forward. And for me, the part that comes forward the most is this this little. The six-year-old comes out because she's brave, but it's in the middle of a grocery store that your six-year-old comes out and freaks out. So how does – I'm just confused. Like so, if you could explain that. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? I, I mean she comes out deliberately. To be scared for the adult person? No. So like in a grocery store, I can be triggered into a little space whether I want to be there or not. She'll just come out. Um, my one of my while I remember being lost in grocery stores a lot, my dad would always take me on errands, and so whenever I go on errands, I feel like I'm little and with my parent, and it's a really good time. I love going on errands. Errands are special. You and I bond over going on errands. You know that, and I think as adults, it's fun because it's fun as an adult to nest with you. To me, it's like over going on errands, and I get all happy as an adult because I'm like, this is so sweet. Like, it's sexy. We're nesting. We get to go get, you know, plates together. Like, that's so hot. Like, I have an adult (laughs) version of it. But the kid version of me is like, oh, my God, how exciting to spend time with you doing the errand. 
oh, I get to go in the car. I love going on car rides, which I do. I love going in the car. Oh, we get to go and walk through the place. I can see all the things in the store. There's a book section in the store that I get to go to every single time. Like my little loves going to those places with you. But my little is also most in danger in public spaces where she can get lost. So when my little is fine in a grocery store, usually so long as you're right there. But if I'm overwhelmed that day or if my little is scared or if I'm anxious or if I'm tired, I might be not able to handle the grocery store. I might want to cling to you the entire time I'm in a grocery store, you know, and I'll try really hard if I'm feeling like that. If I feel like my little can't be there, I will try actively to be like I'm putting that headspace somewhere else and I'm forcing myself to adult even though I don't want to be present. What often ends up happening is that socially anxious me is a part of me as an adult. I am very socially anxious as an adult. And my little is very rarely socially anxious. So there will be times, for instance, in a grocery store where I'm too socially anxious to be there and I just can't do it anymore. And suddenly the only person that's willing to come to the surface is this kid. But wouldn't that mean that you would then calm down? If she's calm, maybe. But that's not... I still have a six-year-old now running the show, walking around, doing the shopping, going in line, talking to adults, and trying to pretend to be an adult. I still have a six-year-old who has come out to do a task that an adult should be doing by herself in a store. But didn't you say it's the six-year-old who panics? Yep. So what ends up happening is I'll be in situations where no, no aspect of me really wants to be there. The adult part, like, so an example is like this dinner that happened. Like, I wanted to see my friends, but I was not well. I had recently been treated really, really badly by somebody. I was very emotionally damaged and fragile. And we were going to see friends for the first time since it happened. And all adult aspects of me, all adult headspaces of me were overwhelmed, frightened, grieving, and just completely insecure and scared. And I was sitting there with you trying to be an adult. And I did not feel like an adult at all. I suddenly felt little. And that was my cue to understand, oh my God, the person on my team, basically, who is the strongest right now, is the person who should not have to be here. The only person left standing is the little. And that happens a lot. Because I don't want her to have to come out when it's scary. I don't want her to have to come out to do adult tasks because the adult parts of me aren't functioning. But sometimes this that is, will happen with a little. This is where I'm confused because you're saying she comes out when you're in a scary situation. Well, not in a scary situation. She'll come out like at the store or whatever because she's like the bravest to come out or what have you. Maybe so, this is a conversation for wait, off the podcast because think I'm about just this way. Like, think about this. Think about this. For people who play D&D or who know about quests or like characters on quests, there's usually – a fellowship of people who are going on adventures together. I am like a fellowship. I have a person who's like the hero who leads the charge. I have this adult, big adult person who wields a sword in the armor, okay? Like my warrior class person. And that's kind of me on every day. Like that's kind of the main person who you'll see a lot of the time is my warrior class person who's going out there. Then there's also this nerve-wracked, anxious, scribbling scribe on my team who does all of the work, all of the labor, and who also holds all of my anxiety and OCD. And there's that person on the team. They're physically, they can't do shit, but if you need to know how to do a magic potion, they got you. 
All right. Let's just throw in like a fucking wizard. There's a wizard too. And we'll say the wizard is my spiritual self. So I've got like this wandering wizard on my team. And then I have this little tiny hobbit who is my little. And the little hobbit is the one that's joyful and happy and stops to smell the flowers and wants to look at all the things. So I'm walking around with these four people to conquering every task in, the, in my life that I encounter. In order for me to be in love with somebody, all four of these people have to really love that person. In order for me to do well in a task, I have to put my strongest person forward to lead the charge, right? Sometimes, though, I'll encounter situations in my life where the person who should be leading the charge doesn't. So let's say that I have to cross a raging river, but the person in front who normally would be like the knight, right, the knight in shining armor, doesn't show up. Or can't do it because he got an arrow in the back. The last event that happened. And we'll say that arrow maybe like that's kind of what happened at the dinner. Like somebody, a friend mistreated me and hurt me very badly. And the arrow went right through the back. And so my knight went, I can't, I can't row the boat. I got to be carried. I'm too, I'm too wounded, right? The wizard also was AWOL for some reason. Because the wizard's like, I got to do some spell work on the arrow wound. So I can't help row the boat either. And then the scribbling scribe is never any good in any situation and is sitting there crying in the corner because, uh, you know, all of her papers are wet or something. Leaving the (laughs) hobbit as the only person left on the team to step up and go, okay, I will take the ring. I will row the boat. I will lead this part of the quest because nobody else can. Even though under no circumstances should my little have to lead that team of people There are times when she comes out because there's nobody else in in the fellowship. There's nobody else on the team who is able to be present. And she is willing to step up when no one else will. So there are times when I am the most stressed and I'm under the highest pressure and a little comes out instead of an adult. Because she's the one that's the bravest and the one that goes, okay, none of the adults in my life are showing up. So here I am. But then she's she's showing up but then freaking out. It can traumatize her. Yeah. So, you know, when we're sitting there in that dinner situation where I didn't want to talk and I was scared, I almost burst into tears. And that was not just me as an adult, but that was my little being scared and being like, no one else is here right now. I have to come forward because the adult pieces of me aren't functioning. You know, and that's, I remember that night I came home and I burst into tears and I was sobbing. I was sobbing because as an adult, I know that's wrong. It's wrong for that team of fellowship like if the knight's down fine he got arrowed in the back fuck him he can't move if the wizard's busy taking care of the knight okay i guess save the knight but what about the fucking scribe who's crying in the corner why didn't that person step up and protect the child there's always some part what the hobbit the hobbit right (laughs) there's always some part of me that is an adult who could step forward who is choosing not to when the little goes forward in my opinion my little should never have to be the strongest person on the team because she's a child. And I already had to go through childhood trauma. And I don't want my little having to be traumatized anymore. So it's very hard and very like discouraging when I'm going through life with this merry band of four or whatever, right? And I find the adults on that team, me, because I'm speaking as an adult right now, like most of my mindset, I'm an adult. When I discover that I failed my little self by letting her come to the front when she should not have had to be there, and when I know that it scares her, because she'll come out and be like, yeah, that scared me, and I'm going to be fine. Like, she's very resilient. Obviously, she's still here. 
She survived my childhood. She should instead of being a hobbit, I feel like she should be Sir Robin. Sir Robin. That's funny. Like brave Sir Robin. Yeah. That's funny. But no, like it's just it's I know that that's a weird way to put it, but I hope that this metaphor kind of works for me because for me that's kind of how it feels sometimes. But like in a grocery store, maybe the hobbit is with her the band and sees the books or sees food and comes out to get the food and then everybody's gone. That's kind of how it felt like in the store. Like my little came out thinking there was something good there, going for the books, enjoying time with, you know, parent figure, enjoying enjoying time with, you know, in this case, daddy books. or gov gov oh. and enjoying books. And then none of her team is behind her. There's no adults present right now in her own minds. Like all of my adults, like all the three of the other people were like, I don't know, picking berries at the time or some shit. And then you're gone. You're the part. Like, that's the thing. It's like when you say I'm outside of you and I'm I'm an onlooker, you're not. You're part in her mind and in my mind you're part of the fellowship now. If you're not the leader, then you're like Aragorn. You're like you're like the guy. You're like the the, the the Strider guy. Like you're this amazing, you know, hunk who came into my life. Yeah, you're hubba hubba hunk who has the ability to interact with all parts of my team. I'm I'm absolutely in love with you. I count on you, and my little idolizes you and adores you, and, and looks at you and goes, "You're." You're the parent, but I'm that still an externalized part of the yeah, fellowship well, because not I'm there. not in your head. That's my whole point: is that I'm not in your head. Yeah, I am not a part of you and your aspects of self. In the grocery store, that's what I mean by I am an observer. Yeah, in Kinky Costco, in the middle of Kinky Costco, when you weren't sponsor us, <laughs> when you weren't, please don't. Not after this, when you were gone, and I looked around and I was little. It was like I had been abandoned by the leader of Wait, wait, wait. My Am life. I like the Eye of Sauron? I'm like... <laughs> I don't know why you want to be that, but sure. Well, yeah, if you only, want to be the Eye of it's Sauron, It's the only fine. other, like, external thing that was kind of just, like, seeing them from the outside through the ring. Can you just be I a hot guy? Why do you have right to be... No, you're in the right story. universe. You're saying, you're, sa- you're saying Lord of the Rings. You're doing a good job. I would prefer for you to be like some well, hot there's dude. there's no other but... like because I didn't want to say am I like you know God from up above. Well, the reason the... I compared you to Aragorn <laughs> is because Aragorn kind of comes in to the already sort of existing situation, and he I mean he does help, but like Gandalf, I I, 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 I'm I'm Gandalf and I'm a knight and I'm I'm the nervous scribe and I'm a hobbit. So like you are only the only spaces left are for you to be like no, Sir Robin. I'm not going to be <laughs> Sir Robin. Sir Robin. Anyways, the point I is I want to cross reference movies. The point is like you're an important member of my life and in my team. Like you are my partner and my dominant. And that also means that whether you fully are aware of it or not, like you are interacting with me as a singular entity and you're also interacting with all of these fragmented pieces of me, but especially my little. And my little does not do well with being abandoned, and I don't know from an anger standpoint if that was my little being mad at you in the grocery store or if that was some older part of me stepping in and speaking for her because well, I don't I felt think my like little... I was unfairly attacked in that moment because not that you like attacked me, but you know what I mean. Like, I was angry I felt at the time. Like I was defensive. I was coming from a place of adults headspace and i had no reason to believe you weren't and so well and when we when we look at and again this is actually getting deeper into more of a psychological fragmentation conversation but when we look at people who experience aspects of themselves that are so defined that they can actually be considered like you know independent like a little oftentimes there are aspects of that person that also act as a caretaker to the little and i just consider all aspects of myself 
as adult except for my little piece. So all aspects of myself that are operating, all aspects of my fellowship team are adults and are responsible for caretaking for that part. So when that part is mistreated or when that part doesn't get what she needs, the adult is going to have to be usually be the one to stand up and say something. What's really weird about all of this for me is that I don't lose memory. I don't experience full dissociation and I don't consider what I'm describing for myself to be a disorder or a dysfunction of any kind. Um, I see myself as a fully functioning unit that is also capable of acting in fragments. And I see my ability as an adult to engage with these fragments as healthy because it allows me to figure out what each part of me needs to be okay. Whereas before when I was denying it and not able to kind of like access like, oh, I have a little, I couldn't, I couldn't help her. So like the situation you mentioned in the grocery store was before you and I were using language in our relationship. And for me, that identified this was a little situation. Well, yeah. And that was kind of my whole point was that I was not as aware of what was happening and was caught off guard with it kind of in a sense. Like I didn't understand until after and yeah. you could explain it. And that was, like I said, that was earlier on in our in our relationship. Yeah. So. Um, but now I know in grocery stores. Stay near <laughs> to, me or tell or me. Or say going. like I'm going to go do whatever. And blah, blah, check blah. in to make sure my headspace is old because I feel like you can tell. Like, you may not always know when my little is out when I'm happy or when I'm just sort of content and in a safe space. But I feel like you are Well, that was kind of my point before. You are astute at identifying when I'm little and I'm scared or I'm little and I'm upset about something or just giving you a hard time. Mm -hmm. Like, when I'm pushing back and being playful with you as a little, you often take it as me throwing a tantrum and I might just be like – having my feels but I'm going to do it anyways like I'm just having a moment with you and it might be a form of playing with you you just might not find it very fun but like um you can now look at me and if you see in my eyes that I'm like scared or shaking my head or acting a certain way you'll know oh she's little so she's gonna come with me I'm not gonna separate from her like you can tell when I'm that or I'm figuring it out like it's nuanced but like you know what I mean yeah I think what's good is that this is a topic we cannot represent everybody who identifies this way, right? Because it's a whole spectrum, like most things in life. It's a whole spectrum of how people relate to, uh, you know, even just the term little might have different definitions for different people. I think what happened in this episode was it became more about your representation of it, how you experience it, and giving at least an example of what it might look like for people. Yeah. I really like my like little example of being a fellowship or like a your band little of people. Exa- oh, you meant literally your little example. Oh, okay. my little example. Yeah. <laughs> like my, my band of people who face the world, because I really feel like that's the best way for me to describe myself inside. Like I understand what parts of me are best at which tasks. And I always try to put whoever needs to be in front in front. And I'm very amazed at all of the members of my team basically for how well they function and I'm very amazed with myself as an individual and a person because I think I'm a very strong person and I really love myself you know and um maybe I'm talking about aspects of myself the way Miss Jen would or maybe I'm talking about actual fragmented pieces you can take this metaphor and use it for yourself anytime you need to because in my mind no matter how you see yourself whether you see yourself as completely singular entity or as a part of a working whole with lots of pieces you can choose to meld yourself to best fit any situation you need to be in you do have 
multiple talents. You can access multiple headspaces. And if you need to be, you know, in boss mode one day and kid mode the next, you can choose that. You know, it's okay. Maybe. No, you can. Like, if you're like, hey, I'm going to have to be a boss when I'm at work, but I'm at home. I'm chilling out eating pizza and watching TV. Like, we all transition. (laughs) Yes. We all transition from headspace to headspace. And I want to invite you, if you're interested or curious about little space or any sort of altered headspace that's not drug related. Jeez. Because when I hear altered headspace, I always think drugs, you know, because of, you know. Oh, okay. Good, you brought that up. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, altered headspaces and like just shifting in your own headspaces psychologically, like it doesn't have to be super extreme. It doesn't have to be regression. It can be a choice. It can be an exercise. It can be part of meditation. But I feel like all humans have the ability to do this. And no matter how you see it or perceive it in yourself, it is a strength to be able to love and respect the work that you do when you're in these different headspaces. I am a happier person and becoming a stronger person. Because I see my little headspace. I see my little self. I respect the contributions she makes to me as an adult and as a person. And I love who she is. And I'm willing to take time and to make space for her when she needs to be out. And I try my best to always have my little self be in situations that are safe and best for her and not scary for her. And I probably need to show the same type of love to my other aspects, right? But for me right now, I focus a lot on her because my whole life has been spent focusing on not being her. Ever since I was her actual age, ever since I was six, I wasn't allowed to be the way I was supposed to be. So now that I'm an adult and I have the space and energy and time, I make space for her to be what she couldn't when she should have been. You know, and so that's a big part, I think, of being a little... Um, for me and of little space for a lot of people is finally being in a space in your life when you are safe enough and you are in enough control that you can actually let that part come out and let that part finally get what it needed. You know, and I, I know for me, that's the one of the greatest lures of DS and one of the greatest lures of kink is just to finally be in a space where it's okay. You know, so, um, I really feel like this is an ongoing conversation. We may do another episode at another time about the little piece, but um, I'm very curious uh, about how other people identify with their littles or their middles, bigs, et cetera, because littles get a lot of stage time. I mean, they are pretty big personalities considering they're littles, right? Like my, my little is, you know, the bell of the ball. You know, she's – everything's about her when she's around. Just a little bit. Sorry, yeah. Ms. Jen, well, but no, it's true. I just wanted to shout out – you know that there are a lot of people will associate littles with s types and there are d types who also have a little headspace i just wanted to well yeah you know it's i mean i i actually i don't think this is really true that miss jen has a little headspace in this capacity but i do sometimes call miss jen baby jen because she'll have times when she's very sleepy when she's just very in like bare minimum function mode and it's very adorable or like she'll yawn and like shake her little fist like a baby like it's just me stretching i know it's just so <laughs> cute but like in all seriousness I, any human can identify with a little no matter how they are on other spectrums like ds but i also just want to shout out middles and i want to shout out shout out people who have teenage headspaces and bigger headspaces because um they don't get a lot of attention and time given to them and it's very important that they do i think it would definitely be interesting, kind of something I would want to support if there was ever a time or space where people had like a middle support group or um, a middle party because middles often have to adult too much 
in many spaces, but especially in little spaces. Because when you're surrounded, like I said from the beginning, when you're surrounded by a bunch of six-year-olds and you're 13, what do you what do you become? The babysitter. You know? So I'm just trying to imagine what a middle party would look like. I think a middle party would just think about what 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 it's like a sleepover. Like have what would a Ouija a board out and to... do light as a feather, stiff as a board. Do you yeah. remember that? That's yeah, that might be. Before I never got to do it though because I never understood the magic of it. <laughs> I still don't understand. It's like a magical <laughs> mystery. But like, yeah, I mean, um, speaking as a little who's Spin had the bottle, yes. Well, <laughs> speaking as a little who's had to adult a hell of a lot. I feel a lot of compassion for middles and teenagers who even now in the kink scene don't always get space to be themselves unless they're alone and, and feeding that part of themselves, you know, at home. So that was it. Well, and I think we talk about interviews a lot, but I think this would be a great one to find people who identify in different ways in this category and like interview them and find out other aspects of people who are little or middle you yeah, know. I would also like to do an episode in the future on dark age play, which Jen's in a class on dark age play before. And no, we're well, not. Talking I didn't about, teach it. Talking, I hosted. We're, we're not talking about the dark ages. We're talking about <laughs> age play that is dark. Yeah, I had or to like change taboo. the. I had to change the name of the class. I was hosting it, um, and it was, I I called it dark age play, and I literally got messages about like, should we wear armor? Like, are we going to learn about the dark age? I was like, ah, oh, crap. So I changed it to taboo age play. <laughs> Yeah, but I would love to talk about that too because, you know, for me, because my my little is in some ways a form of regression that can occur and because my little is, you know, very much really stuck in a child headspace when she is more forward, I don't prefer for her to be sexualized and I don't prefer for her to be in sexual situations and I don't think Ms. Jen does either. But also I will say this, like for those of us who can fluidly go in between the little and adult headspaces – Sex is definitely possible, and um, it's it's that's why it's taboo. Some people are really uncomfortable talking about this, but I think it's a really important topic to bring up because there's a reason that the kink community talks about littles, and it's because, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it, it intersects in lots of uh, interesting ways with with what we do. Or middles, I I, I tend to see more of like the the dark or taboo age play being more in more of a middle headspace or in a baby girl, baby boy kind of role play headspace. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's just my, my own observation. Anyway. We'll have to seek it out. If you identify as a little, a middle, a baby girl, a baby boy, an ABDL, um, a big a babysitter, if you identify as an age player basically and you are curious about sharing your experiences, um, we'd love to talk with you to see if you'd be a good fit for the show. Because we really do think that um, this is a, an important community to highlight. And I'm just fucking curious. I'm always curious about this stuff because I'm still learning about it myself. So uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We are going to, of course, shout out our team. Lena is wonderful. She helps to run our Discord. Um, she's been around since the YouTube days. And we really fucking appreciate Lena. We also have Tussled, who does our notes and who uh, is head of research and also a, uh, a, a content director. So Tussled has been helping us kind of make sure that we come out with all of the best possible things that we can. Um, and then we have Sid. Sid built the Discord and is also building our website. Um, and he also builds our self-esteem because he's so great. <laughs> so we wanted to just think. No pressure, Sid. 
<laughs> we wanted to thank Lena Tussled and Sid so much for all that they do for the channel and for us as people because we love them. Thank you for listening. Bye, Bye. precious kinklings. Thank you. Yeah.